BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I have news. Okay, you can officially pre-order my first book, The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. I am so thrilled. Let me tell you, when you pre-order, it helps me so much. The book is going to help you so much, but it's not coming out till January. So I totally get that that's a little wait. But when you pre-order, if you save a screenshot of your receipt, you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast or go to the link in the show notes and you will see a way to let me know that you pre-ordered. And as a thank you, I'm going to be doing a lot of pre-order specials. The first one is a live virtual conversation introducing the five principles of parenting and how they can help set the tone for the new school year. This is whether you have tots or teens. I'm so excited. Please, please, please pre-order. You have no idea how helpful it is. I am so grateful and I'm so excited for you to get your hands on this book. I really, really didn't want to write a book unless it was going to clear the noise, alleviate the burden, and add to the support. So I worked hard to make sure that I deliver the science that really matters for raising resilient kids and clearing up some of the myths, removing the trends, and then helping you figure out what that means for your parenting decisions based on your values, the parenting strategies that you are most comfortable with, and your temperament and your child's temperament. This is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It is a this-is-for-you approach. And I'm excited to put it out in the world. And now to today's episode... My guest, Michelle Eichard, is an educator. Michelle is also the author of three books on middle schoolers, setbacks, and conversations to have. If you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, maybe write a little review. And I hope that you will, of course, pre-order my book, The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. And of course, if you want any more information coming into your mailbox, I have my newsletter, drlisapressman.substack.com and Raising Good Humans Podcast Premium. 
and my regular episodes, which you get for free every week. Talk to us about how failure functions. Sure. So I think most of us are pretty frightened of failure and we shy away from it and we think it is a terrible thing to be avoided when in fact, failure serves a really important part of our lives, but particularly the lives of adolescents. So here's what it does. It teaches us how to grow. It is one of the only things that really teaches us how to grow. So parents think, oh, I should make my kid's life really easy so that they can achieve a lot, so that they can go far. And the fact is that kids don't learn from perfection and they don't learn from ease. They learn from struggle. We all do. So the first thing that failure does as its sort of main function in our lives is it teaches us where boundaries are. It teaches us where we need to learn things. It teaches us how to build coping skills, how to be resilient, all the things we want for our kids. So that that to me is really the joy of failure. So convincing people, that's basically our conversation today, is going to help kind of remarket failure, which I think a lot of parents deeply believe is important to a certain extent. But then when faced with what we perceive as failure, it becomes hard to distinguish between when we're supposed to jump in and support and when we are letting our kids experience that growth. So how do we keep kids safe in that context? Like we want them to stretch. We want them to take risks. We have this intellectually on our minds. Some of us, some of us might not have it in our minds, but they're learning it in real time. Either way, it's a challenge to operationalize it. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, what what you just said is so important. I think theoretically, we all believe failure is a good teaching tool. Theoretically. But then (laughs) when it comes to your kid not making the team after they really tried hard and they're actually quite a good player and you think they're a pretty good sport, you're like, this doesn't feel fair. It might be a failure, but it doesn't feel like a very fair one. To pivot that into the safety zone, it's probably not making your kid unsafe if they don't make the soccer team, even if you think they really deserve it. It's probably not going to damage their self-esteem to a point that they can't recover. It's going to hurt. It's going to be a real ding, and they're going to have to figure out what to do. And it might not be fair. And it might be a bad decision that the coach made, you know, a million things. But in terms of keeping them safe, I think parents should take a step back and think about, is this something that's really going to hurt my kid physically? That's really causing emotional distress that they can't handle, not that is upsetting to them, but that they really can't handle in a healthy way, then they're going to look at how to lean in and help out with that kid, how to contain the problem. But otherwise, I would encourage parents to sit back and say, your child probably is safe, even when they're failing. Now, if their failure shows up as one of the stories in the book that they have had so much alcohol to drink one night at a party, they're being rushed to the hospital, they're not safe. If it shows up that they can't handle the emotionality of failing, then, you know, and that's coming out as cutting or lack of other kinds of coping skills, then they're not safe. But if you're not really seeing sort of imminent danger, then it's okay to sit back and say, I need to show my kids some empathy. It's fair to give my kids support. It's fair to be super extra sweet to them this week, but they have got to feel the feelings and figure out how to get through that. So what are parents doing to 
respond in those moments? Is there a quick check we can do to see that they're not coping in a maladaptive way? Like you said, an example of that would be cutting. Or another example would be they've taken such a risk. They've had so much to drink. They have alcohol poisoning. They're at the hospital. Those examples, they're not safe. We do need to get in there. What happens in parents' minds that gets them away from making that leap and realizing that for the majority of the time, it's just painful, but it's not harmful? And isn't that life, right? It's just painful sometimes. So what I want parents to do when they are in that spot and they're thinking, is this for real, real, or is this just a painful moment? Their fears are going to start to spiral Mm -hmm. and they're going to start to think, oh my gosh, does this mean my kid has an addiction problem? My kid's never going to make friends. My kid will never learn how to cope. My kid needs special accommodations. My kid and they my kid and I won't ever be friends. Will I ever meet my grandchildren? You know, and they're starting to sort of get out of control with worry because their kid is experiencing failure. And maybe it's public failure. And maybe it's carrying a little bit of shame, not just for the kid, but for the parent. Like, how could I be the parent of a kid who did this? What will people think? When that starts to happen and the parent is starting to collect a list of things that they are really worried about, I want them to pause take a deep breath. And I write in the book in every chapter, face one fear first. So write them all down, get them all out of your head, get them on a sheet of paper or tell them to someone. And then say, of all of these things that I am legitimately afraid of, I'm not saying you shouldn't have those feelings, but of all of those fears, what's the one you could do something about in the next 24 hours? Whether you can fix it or not, what can you make a little forward motion on? And so usually then if you can say, all right, I have a million fears about my kid failing school and he, you know, he's not doing well and I think he's going to have no grit and will he ever hold down a job and all of it. Of all of those, what are the things I can do something about? And maybe the only one on that list of things you're worrying about way down the road is I don't know if his teachers like him. I'm worried that he's being a jerk in class and he's shooting himself in the foot because he only likes to work for teachers who he thinks are cool. So then look at that one and then say, hey, you know, let's have a talk. Look, we, we're looking at your grades. They're, they're in the pits right now. What can we do? One thing you can do is email your teachers. So let's get going on that one. And we will put the rest of these far aside because we don't have to worry about them. But if you can focus on one thing, I think it takes away that snowballing. What are some things that, that we can arm our kids with to have the skills to fail? to fail well, to fail and get the thing out of it that's going to be so beneficial that you talk about so much. What are those steps? I love that you asked that. So in the book, I'm introducing a three-step process for parents, and it's called Contain, Resolve, Evolve. And what that means is first thing happens, you realize, oh gosh, we are going through a failure, a setback. My kids made a mistake. They face-planted. First thing I need to do is look at the situation and figure out what I need to contain. Either I have to contain the kid because they are in imminent danger. They have overdosed or they have met a stranger online and they're making plans to meet up. So it could be that I I really need to do need to sort of put this kid on lockdown for a little while. Or it can be there is a problem here presenting itself in my kid's life that we need to contain. Maybe they're not doing well in school, but you see the kid is trying really hard. You're not going to punish the kid, but you may have to do a little bit of sort of figuring out what's causing the problem. Let's get some testing done or let's talk to teachers and figure it out. So that's the first step is helping them 
figure out what the problem is and containing it or you diagnosing it and containing it. And then resolve. There's a bunch of stuff that I list in the book, things you can do once you've figured out where the kid is failing. And that might be they owe someone an apology or it might be they need to get a better education on a certain subject. And I think this is the step most parents don't think about, but might be the most important. And that's evolve. And that's letting it go. That's like, there comes a time when this cannot be the headline of my kid's childhood anymore. And I have to stop asking them about it and just say, you are a fully good person who doesn't have to keep atoning for that mistake or that failure. And let's move along. It's time. And now for a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Have you ever been on the hunt for a new doctor and you literally ask everyone you know for their recommendations? You know, a doctor who actually gets you, listens to you, and makes you feel comfortable. And then finally, after weeks of searching, you find the one. Not only do they do all that, but they're also close to you. So you can call their office and they have an appointment available. But then the receptionist tells you that they don't take your insurance. Wipe your tears and head over to ZocDoc to find and book the doctor who is right for you and takes your insurance. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments all online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated doctors, patient-reviewed doctors, and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. These doctors all have verified reviews from actual patients, no bots allowed, and you can minimize your wait time because the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is shockingly just between 24 and 48 hours. If I needed to find a doctor in my network nearby and conveniently available, this is where I would go. Go to ZocDoc.com humans and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash humans, ZocDoc.com slash humans. Now that we're in the thick of summer, I mean, it already feels like it's ending. You might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You will save time, you'll eat well, you'll stay on track reaching your health goals, and it's just easy. I love when things that don't have to be time-consuming are easy. So if you're tired or too busy or just want a little bit of a break from cooking, head to factormeals.com humans50 and use the code humans50 to get 50% off. That's code humans50 at factormeals.com slash humans50 to get 50% off. I know that sometimes it's fun to barbecue and cook with your friends and have fun summer plans, but if meal deliveries make things seem easy and convenient for you, head to factormeals.com slash humans50 and use the code Humans 50 to get 50% off. Factormeals.com slash humans 50. Use the code humans 50 to get 50% off. 
So if your child is struggling to move on, or let's take it back a step, you're struggling to move on, or they've made some huge error and now you're struggling to trust them, what what do we do? What do we work with? Yep. So one of those action items is rebuild trust. You mentioned, what if you just can't trust them? And there will be some steps that you can take, but what I'd love for parents to do is talk to their kids about that. Kids particularly when they want freedom and they want independence, are pretty genius. So they will come up with some good ways to prove to you that they are trustworthy if it means getting back together with their friends and being, being able to hang out on a Saturday night again or you know being left home alone or whatever it might be. So I think collaboration and negotiation are key. And that feels like that feels contrary to parents who are thinking, but my kid just effed up (laughs) in such a big way. Why should they get a voice in how we move forward here? And that's really important to get their buy-in, even though it might be it might be going against your initial best judgment, but pull them into that process. I think that's a big part of repair and moving on. The reason why that speaks so much to this path forward is because you're also showing them that there is a path forward and that you aren't just saying, well, you screwed up. So that's that. But it's actually like, yes, I'm setting limits and guardrails, but let's together figure out how you get out of this because otherwise, how are they ever getting out of this? Yeah. I think that's such a good way of putting it. There is a path forward. If you felt helpless and then hopeless about whether or not your life was ever going to get any better, why would you have incentive to try hard, right? So then we move a little bit from what we were talking about before, where kids learn from struggle. They don't learn from their lives being really easy or really perfect. They also don't learn from trauma. They don't learn from being locked down and never allowed to experience freedom. No one does. So there's a real sweet spot right in the middle there. And that's what I want to sort of guide parents toward. And Do you sort of get the freedoms and ideas from the kids themselves and then assess? I think what I'm getting at is giving parents permission to parent, but also understand that there has to be flexibility within these walls that feel like these are there for safety. We're going to work our way. I want your feedback. It is collaborative. Yes. (laughs) Can you address the parents? who are kind of feeling the two extremes of this and how to really find that middle ground. Absolutely. So we don't, the book isn't about being so permissive that your child just gets to mess around and make mistakes and learn from it. And it's, you know, it's not that. It's also not so restrictive that they make a mistake and you swoop in and you solve it, right? So it's again about sort of finding that middle path that says, I want you to feel the discomfort of this. And I want you to become comfortable with discomfort in your life so that the next time something happens, whether it's your own doing, or it's just, man, you you know, bad luck that happens sometimes we all need to build our coping skills and our uh, ability to be comfortable with discomfort, however it hits. So, um, you know, for, for parents who are worried, well, I don't want to, for example, my kid gets suspended and then they're grounded. And then my kid comes to me and negotiates and says, I really think I've done a wonderful job for the past week. And I know I was supposed to be grounded for a month, but it's been a week and I'm, I'm okay now. Can you let me off? And a lot of parents will say, you know what? That sounds like the best, easiest 
path forward. I don't have to keep watching over this. We get you. I have been a pleasure over the past week. Off you go, kiddo. I don't love that approach. I mean, in some cases, maybe that's the right way. But in general, I want parents to say, in order to kind of feel the full effect of what has just happened, we're going to stick with the plan. But here's how you make it work. You write the plan in such a way that you say, okay, let's say that the the terms of this consequence are two weeks long and you're not going to see friends or be on technology for those two weeks, which is like an eternity of hell for any teenager, right? So that's that's a lot. So that's the consequence. But if you are um, contributing around the house during those two weeks, you can earn sort of milestone moments along the way. You can have friends over next Friday night in our house where I'm here with everybody for three hours, assuming you meet these benchmarks during the week. And then after that, maybe there's another one. Maybe you end two days early so they can go out on the weekend if they have done X, Y, and Z throughout. It makes the experience a lot more pleasant for you it being in the house. It incentivizes them and it doesn't feel like a fly by the seat of my pants decision. I've planned it all along. Right. And so that takes away that feeling from parents of the, the it, things have gone off the rails and I'm just like at the mercy of whatever I can come up with in that moment. Right. And kids feel like there's hope. Yeah. And the book is going to help you think that through. Like, I think a lot of times something happens and parents are like, I don't know what is the right or appropriate reaction to this. Is this just normal teen behavior or is this uh, the sign of bad things to come down the road if I don't get on this really quickly? That's what the book is going to help you kind of learn how to assess and trust your gut. There are eight different stories from parents I interviewed. I interviewed a lot of families, more than eight. Some of these families are amalgams of several that have the same situation. These are ones who represented the typical teen struggles that I think are really common right now. So it's failure to get along with friends, failure to get along with your family, failure to do well in school, failure to take care of your own body, all of these things. And as parents read through, some of them will say, gosh, this is my kid. And some of them will say, this isn't my kid, but at least I'm working on this muscle of figuring out how to assess what's a big deal, what's not a big deal, and how to respond. There's something about helping parents assess whether something is typical teenage stuff or whether it's the beginning of a story you don't want to think about. And I, I find it interesting also because for a lot of parents, once something's in the bucket of typical teenage stuff, then it begs the question, okay, this is something to expect. And does that mean that we then just kind of say, well, we make mistakes. We knew this was going to happen. We expected this to happen. And therefore, you know, we know you're not going to do it again and we move on. Or are we still setting up these guardrails to say, listen, we make mistakes. We knew this was a possibility. And also we need to set some guardrails because clearly there was a little too much freedom for where you're at right now. There may be guardrails and there may not be. There are some kinds of mistakes that we expect that are very typical where I don't think you need to, for example, keep your kid home for two weeks. Like I said in the other example, that's pretty extreme in my opinion. That's one far end of this, but they still need to learn and they still need some education around it. So I think it's entirely appropriate 
not every single time. That would be the most annoying thing in the world to make everything a teachable moment. But when there is a failure that causes some sustained struggle for your child, then I think it's really appropriate to become a teacher there and a guide and to say, okay, here are some things that I think will help you move forward here. And it may be, you know, you just need to learn a little bit more about how this works, or we just need to have a few more good conversations before I feel like you understand where I'm coming from on this, you know, whatever it may be. So there are lots of opportunities. Guardrails are one, and there are lots of other opportunities for parents to say, okay, even though this is a typical thing, and all the stuff in the book is typical, even the overdrinking, even the, you know, whatever, sexting or whatever it may be, it's all stuff kids do. It's not a it's not an indictment of your parenting. It's not that your kid is weird or unusual. It's just being a teenager. So then, yeah, I want parents to, to go through the book and say, okay, first of all, I'm feeling less worried, less shame, less concern about whether my kid is normal. They are. And then now I've got a whole bunch of ideas of ways I can respond from guardrails to conversation and lots of places in between. So one of the things that can happen with adolescents is they're feeling like there are an awful lot of teachable moments and they're shutting down from teachable moments. They're like, I don't want to hear this anymore. Like, I know, I get it. How can we continue the lines of communication? What are some tips on having communication while also not being just like the an SNL skit of a teachable moment? Yes. <laughs> Pick your battles, first of all. A lot of it you can just go, eh, you know, and and your kid won't remember. I mean, I know that I don't remember a lot of the really terrible things I did and said to my own parents when I was neglectful of them, which was like at one end of the scale or just rude or mean at the other. So your child's probably not going to remember that either. So I would say pick your battles. I would say choose how you communicate. So rather than just sort of dive bombing them, like, okay, sit down, important conversation incoming. These things can be done over drips and drabs and long periods of time, but you're, you're, you're sort of modeling looking for consent, even when it comes to a conversation. Like, hey, I want to talk about X sometime. And I know that might be kind of weird or, you know, I don't want to, I'm not suspicious of you. I just, it's something we need to cover since I'm your parent. So do you want to do that now? Do you want to do that tomorrow? You pick, I will be available when you're ready, but, but we do have to do it sometime this week. So let me know and get your kid to buy into the conversation a little bit. That helps. And then this is a sort of gold standard tip that I have been giving for almost 20 years. Try very hard to have a neutral expression on your face when you're talking to your kid. So I always call that have a Botox brow, whether you do or don't, doesn't matter. You just need to not have a wrinkly, don't squint your eyebrows down like you're really concerned. Even if you're just trying to look focused, your child will read that as anger when it's not. Yeah, that's a really good tip because so often we hear from kids that someone is yelling at them when the adult feels like they're using a neutral voice. So already, if a child knows something's gone wrong, if you've got an adolescent who's like, I'm in so much trouble, then whatever your voice and facial expression is going to be exaggerated to them. So you have to take it down. Plus, we do have, I mean, I know myself, there are times when I'm like, I am making a perfectly neutral, pleasant face. And I'm not. (laughs) There's judgment. There's yes. frustration. It's we got to deal with it first. So you've got to take a deep breath and real it takes a lot of practice, but it's worth it. 
Okay, summertime is easier for me to cook, mostly because recipes just seem to be a little less arduous in summertime. So I use Caraway Cookware. It's non-toxic and chemical-free, so you can fill your summer with your favorite recipes without worry. I do not like the non-stick PFAS coatings and the forever chemicals. Those just aren't good for you. And I've been using non-stick cookware that's non-toxic because I like the convenience, but I do not like unnecessary toxins. Caraway makes cookware with the convenience of that non-stick without the concerns. I'm going to tell you what I just cooked recently because it's so unusual for me, but I just cooked a one pan pasta. So you take the big pan, you throw in spaghetti, fresh tomatoes, basil, chopped garlic, and then pour some water on that. And it's a one pot pasta. How easy is that? And then you sprinkle on a little cheese. It was the easiest cooking I've ever done. And it was easy to clean. No, it did not taste delicious. But again, I used a beautiful pan. Visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 to get 10% off during their summer refresh event. Certain exclusions apply. That's carawayhome.com slash humans10 or use the code humans10 at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Okay, so some of the failures you're talking about are those just like those mistakes that are just totally in the adolescent's control in the sense that they made the choice. But I want to talk about some of the failures you discuss that are really more like the example of working really hard and not making the team. And the deep, deep or, you know, school applications or the list is kind of endless, friends, anything, getting invited to a party. Okay. So what about the circumstances where the failures are really out of the kid's control and you're watching as a parent and it is so painful because it's not getting wasted at a party. It's not stealing something that was stupid to take or unethical or just a lapse in judgment. It was working really hard and not getting the outcome you wanted. It was not getting invited to something. It was getting dumped out of the blue. It was just this whole list of things that bring up lots of feelings in us because it's just so, un it feels unjust. And can you talk a little bit about parents getting through that and then being there to be able to help their kids experience that discomfort? Yeah, I'm really happy that you asked that because I think when we can get angry, it's easier. When we can say it's this person's fault, maybe it's our kid's fault for doing it. Yeah. Maybe much we easier. say, yeah, right. It's much easier. Or when we say it's that stupid group of kids who have always been so mean and now they've ramped up. Like if we can put the blame on someone, it's easier yeah. to cope. But sometimes we can't put the blame on someone. Sometimes just kids are just friendships change. They shift. And that's normal for anyone in life. It's very normal in adolescence. And sometimes what presents as a failure isn't really a failure. So I have some examples of that in the book where, for instance, there was a girl who just really withdrew and wouldn't talk to her family and wouldn't talk to her friends. And as it turns out, she was questioning her sexuality, which I would never call a failure. But to her parents, before they knew this, they thought, why is our kid failing to thrive? She's not happy anymore. She doesn't have the same friends she used to have. She won't hang out with us. You know, it felt 
like failure. It looked like failure until they could figure out what it is. And they were desolate and they were desperate to figure it out. Unfortunately, for some of this stuff, it just takes time. And so, you know, you can do your best to be gentle and to offer support and to be there. And you've got to be careful that that doesn't look or sound like neediness because your child doesn't want to feel like your emotionality is dependent on their happiness. So if yes. they feel like, right, if they feel like, oh, yeah. in order to make my mom happy, I have to perform. That's mm-hmm. awful. So I think checking that you're not being needy of, and you're not relying on their success or their happiness or whatever it may be to check your own emotional boxes and to feel good. That's really important. I think being patient is super important. And then I think recognizing that this is how kids grow. If you can do that, if you can put yourself in kind of an academic mind about it. So it's not only how kids grow, it's what makes communities better. So the way that kids cross the threshold from childhood to adulthood is they have to separate from a group. They have to go through a sort of trial, a test figure things out, and then they come back to the community with what they've learned and they can offer that to the community. Now I know, now I understand, now I have insight. And that's painful, but that's how we get better community members and better people. So tough as it is, if you can just say, okay, this is like, you know, growing pains in your knees, but it's in your heart and your soul. It's a part of life. There's a saying, you're only as happy as your least happy child. But I actually think that that is a messed up saying. Me too. You know, it's like, wait a second. First of all, that's very codependent. (laughs) And I do think, of course, I mean, we're both parents. Like if one of our kids is in emotional pain, of course it's painful. And also there is such a difference between knowing that they are struggling in the typical ways that grow us and make us thrive in the way that like... It's painful to get vaccinated, but we know that something good is coming of it. And so we can move through that as adults and not take it on as pain. And I, I, I really want to address what you just touched on, which is making sure that kids don't feel they have to perform for us because we can't handle their struggles because then it's even more, to, it's, it's more burdensome to the kids. And more importantly, it's unsustainable for us. Like that would just be incredibly, I mean, you would be a a mess of of an adult if every time your adolescent was going through something, you were forlorn and in pain. It's too much. So in order to be able to be there for them and actually support them during these times, letting ourselves off the hook for not being miserable alongside their misery, but actually being able to step back could really help everybody out. And I would love for you to expand on that a little bit. Also, I'm glad you feel the same way about that phrase because it drives me crazy, which I'm not talking about the like really horrible stuff. I'm just talking about, we're talking about what, what you're talking about in this book, the stuff that is typical and it sucks. It feels like a sort of a 1950s martyr mom thing. Like my whole identity is wrapped up in my child's experience. And so, woe is me. I'm just having to go from this kid's struggle to this kid's struggle. And I can't be happy until I've tidied everybody's lives up. And Mm -hmm. that's crazy. 
maybe not a nice thing to say, but it's just like you said, it's not sustainable. That's a, a certainly a nicer way of saying it. So one of the things I write in the book is it's nice to be nice. I do want you to be nice to your kids. If your child is struggling, if they are going through a really tough time emotionally, sit next to them and ask them if you can watch whatever TV show you hate that they're watching, right? <laughs> totally. If they, if that you want to make their favorite dinner for them and say, you know what? You can eat on the couch tonight. You can just cozy up in this blanket and I'll bring it to you. That's so nice of you. But you don't need to get sad with them. When Here's the saying that I don't like that is very similar to you're only as happy as your whatever saddest child. It's, oh, that hurts my heart when you're hurting. Yeah. That might be where I live. It's a, maybe a very Southern thing, like a bless your heart kind of a thing. But but parents say that like, that really hurts my heart to see you hurting. And I'm like, oh. Right. Who's telling you that they're hurting if it's going to put you in pain? Right. You just lost your your like potential connection. I want to know that my pain is not so awful and ugly and unburdensome that I can uh, offload it to my parent and they can be like, oof, it sounds like a great night to have ice cream first, not, oh, my heart is broken with you. What, yes. Let's both sulk together and be sad. And like that, that would make me feel terrible and did in fact, as a child, <laughs> yeah. feel bad because I can remember when my mom would just absorb that with me thinking it was, you know, with all love. good intentions, thinking it was of love course. and it, it was how she loved, but also it wasn't what I needed. Yeah. And I think a way to really believe that, because I've had this conversation with people before where they're like, how can you even say that? These are our kids. Like, of course, it's going to be hard for us. And all I would say is when you're talking, like, what friends do you go to when you really need to share what's happening with you and when you're really struggling? It's not the friends who are going to break down with you because the phrase you use, like, yes. their heart is breaking with your heartbreak. It's the ones who are able to make you feel like it's about you, first of all, <laughs> and you get to have your feelings and they are there for it and compassionate, but they're not like unhinged over it. Right. You need someone, a, a good, reliable listener. You need someone who's going to have so much empathy, take it all in and be like, man, that is rotten. And then what do you want to do? I will listen to your ideas. If you just want to lay there for a while, that is cool. If you want to get out and move, that is cool. You know, like that's really what I would look for, for a good listener. And once you've sort of asked about, okay, so what's your step? What are your plans? Do you have any plans? Do you want some help thinking about that? Or do you want to just lay here and kind of veg out? Where, if ever, is there space to talk about the growth? It's certainly not in the stress. It is moment. not right away. No, I mean, contain is that first step. And then resolve is the second. Resolve is where you're going to get into the growth moments. But that can take a while. For some kids, depending on the issue, depending on the kid, it could be a few days. For others, you might have a month in there where you're like, this kid is really isn't ready to think about the next steps. That that was a little traumatic, which is what we just went through. So let's still work on sort of containing how they're doing, containing the problem, that kind of thing. I also find that if it, if it was a really serious failure, setback, mistake, whatever it might have been, sometimes kids go through like many stages before they get to the point of being able to learn. We're all kind of like that, right? So they might yeah. be grieving for a little while over a loss of privilege, or they might be 
um, in denial over, you know, I can't believe this has happened to me and I can't believe you're, you're making these new rules for me. That's not fair. And then they might try to bargain with you, <laughs> you know, so they're going to go through some of the, these sort of typical steps that people go through when things are really hard. And you'll know that they're ready to learn when they relax. You will see them relax into their conversations with you. They won't be fighting their feelings on it. And when you notice that, then it's time to say, well, let's talk about how do we kind of move forward through this? And then how do we get past it? How do we put it behind us? And then like way later, you can talk about how much that particular experience stretched them to the point where they're this incredible human that they are. Years, years later. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't but want that to be like, their defining thing. Yeah. I I only wanted to emphasize that because I wouldn't want people to leave here. And then when their kids are going through something like this and you're not making the path easier for them because you're trying really hard to give them the space to stretch that you don't necessarily want to say, the reason I'm not fixing this is because you're going to be better for it. Yeah, that would be jerky. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you don't want to say like, gosh, you're gushing, yeah, you're gushing blood out of your knee. And the reason I'm not giving you stitches is because that scar right. is going to be so thick and it's, you know, it's going to be great for you. Yeah. I mean, do be nice, do be kind, give them, you know, the bandaid and the tender loving care and all of that. But you do not need to say, boy, you're going to, you're going to grow from this. Isn't it exciting while you're in pain to imagine all the wonderful things? All the growth you're going to have in the future. But I totally get it because we want so much to just like have some promise of hope. Right. But I think they will figure that out on their own. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.